yeah. Okay. So, um, we're talking about rabbinic penalties. Somebody did a no-no. They sold their servant to a non-Jew. And uh, you can't do many mitzvahs when you work for a pagan. Can't keep kosher. It's difficult. The Shabbos, everything is complicated. So there's a penalty uh, when a person does that. Uh, that we, uh, we learned in the Mishnah, then the servant goes free. It, we'll see. It could be that you've got to buy him back. If you, in other words, you come to Yom Kippur and you realize, whoops, you know, I, I thought I, I, the non-Jew offered me extra money for him more than the Jew. And then you find out, well, guess what? You want to, you know, you goofed. You have to go buy him back. Or, uh, or we'll learn otherwise. Or, or if he became free and you wanted to make a claim on him, you can't make a claim. You've got to give him his freedom because you weren't supposed to do that. So today we're going to talk about a number of rabbinic decrees. If a person does, uh, violates them, what's the penalty exactly? Or how far do we go to make you fix it or try to make it good? So we're in the middle of one case yesterday. We'll go through it again. The two dots at the bottom of Mem Gimel You borrowed money at, to, from a pagan, and you made the collateral your, Jewish ser- your half-Jewish servant, your, your Canaanite servant that's converted and accepted, has all, the, has all the negative mitzvahs, has to keep Shabbos, and you told the non-Jew, oh, don't worry, if I don't pay you back, you could just take him. And uh, Now, the non-Jew, when he gets ready to pick up his servants, he puts his nemusu on them. So the question was, what is the nemusu? Right now, we're assuming it means the chain around their neck. He puts the chain around their neck. So that, basically, that, that's the point of no return. You have to free the servant. So if the non-Jew hasn't picked him up yet, you, you have to let him go. And uh, you'll have to pay the non-Jew some other way, but you've got to free that servant because you've signed him up for non-Jewish uh, a life without mitzvahs. But the Gemara isn't clear. What is that term, namusu? What's namusu? That's that chain, that iron chain around his neck that he can't break. He has a question like this. There's a question always determining when property is considered Jewish property, and it's obligated to tithe in the land of Israel, and when property is non-Jewish property. So you got some non-Jewish sharecroppers. Or if you have um, a non-Jew who takes collateral from a Jewish field, meaning that you uh, borrowed money on your field in Israel, and uh, you uh, gave collateral, you gave your field to non-Jews. So... Um, the question will be, that produce that grows, is that considered non-Jewish produce? And you don't have to tie their Jewish produce. So it said, So even though um, this uh, property was Jewish property, and the non-Jew made his nemusu, he put his nemusu on it, it's putter from Meiser. But if we're saying that nemusu is a chain, nishki, nishki, you can't put a chain on a field. It must mean another, uh, it must mean some other type of... Uh, some other concept over here. Allah, Omer, Sheshis, you're right. This, this word, Nemusu, must be refer to something else. Uh, and what it means is Zman. It means, uh, let's see, Rashi, what does the word Zman mean? It means time, but uh, it's six lines, five, uh, six lines up, Zman to five lines up. If I don't pay you by this and this in time, you'll get to keep it forever. So if you, if you wrote such a contract, 
uh, then uh, that's what the word noshki means. It's, uh, it's almost like a clause of no payment. So uh, then it comes out with the servant. In one case where you wrote, if the non-Jew doesn't pay, he can keep the servant. Uh, and so if the Jew doesn't pay, the non-Jew can keep the servant. So the second you write that clause, now we're going to penalize you and you're going to have to free the servant. Or, uh, and then in another place, it sounded like when you wrote that clause, we don't penalize you. So the Mora said, It depends on um, whether or not you're close to the, uh, whether it's the uh, time for payment or not time for payment. Are, are we getting into the clause of payment or not? Um, but if, you, uh, if the non-Jew is already collecting your Jewish servant, so then it should be obvious that he goes free. Samara says, Really, it's not yet time uh, to collect. Uh, there's still other ways to pay. And so then when would the Jewish servant go free? Do we have, what, there's one case where he goes free and one case where he doesn't. So Samara said, Lokasha, last line on the page, It depends on uh, whether you sold uh, the slave himself or whether you just sold the rights to the labor. Let's see the last, um, uh, that's one answer. Let's see the next answer. As we turn to today's page, or you loaned him and he had the right to take it and he didn't take it. And so that, that would be the question whether you have to free him at that point or not. But let's do the last Rashi on yesterday's page. The case by the servant was that you said a certain time, if you don't give the non-Jew his money back, then the servant himself will be his forever. And from right now, you're obligated uh, to this non-Jew. And since you did a no-no, you weren't supposed to set this up this way. That uh, basically, uh, if I don't pay, you got him. What do you mean you got him? His name is Shlomo. He keeps Shabbos. You can't go and say he's got payers. You can't send him to a non-Jew. Constantly penalize you. Even if he's not ready to take him away. What's the case by the field? The Kavalos man the Peros. Um, you made a rule about you can eat my fruits. If I don't pay you, again, each case is a little bit complicated, but basically you owe him money, and you said if I don't pay you, you can take this year's crop. Even, even if you reach the time, it's not yet, you didn't sell the field. Certainly when it's not the time. The most you did was give him the right uh, to the fruits. And so, so basically, there, there's, uh, there are different scenarios for loans, one which is a more permanent type of thing and one which is a less permanent type of thing. But if you took a loan, that means that your servant uh, is going to be given over to non-Jews, then we penalize you. Okay, let's see the top of today's page, the second line. Yeah. Is, is there any situation where a slave is given over Work for him, and the work of his hands may go to the non-Jew, but the ownership remains with the Jew until he pays off the loan. Like the, the linen mill or something. 
So the question I guess you're, you're asking is, this penalty for giving your servant, selling your servant to a non-Jew, what if you didn't fully sell him, you just like leased him? You know, you leased, like you, you gave him over. So I, I, I don't know if it would extend, I guess it would depend on to the extent of the lease. Like uh, we're going to see later that what happens if you made up with a non-Jew that I'll, you know, as long as my servant doesn't, has Shabbos off. I'll, I'll, I'll sell them to you. Can you can, would that make a difference? In other words, the problem here is that you are taking a, uh, a servant who's considered Jewish, half-Jewish at least, and you're, you're taking him away from mitzvah. So what if you didn't do that? So that, That's going to be part of that question. Okay. The penalty is based on ownership, though, right? That's kind of what Richard is, Richard yeah, is yeah, asking. The penalty is, is, is putting your servant in a situation where he can't keep mitzvahs. It doesn't have, it's, so it's removed it's from a, ownership. Really. Yeah, it's almost like you, um, uh, you, have vi- you, you have violated, you have control over a person, and you've given that person in a situation where he can't keep all the mitzvahs. So we penalize you and say, you, no long, you have to give him his freedom. We don't trust you to be his boss anymore. That's that's the same question that Richard's asking. That it does it, does the penalty go to that case? Okay, let's see. Tanner Abundant. It, it, it sounds it sounds actually like Richard is asking that the, 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 if, if you can make a parallel setup to the field, the field you're not selling the field, you're only selling the parish. But can you sell the parish of your evet to a non-Jew? Oh, because uh, but the more doing it, it's literally comparing apples to turbans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's about the origin. I see. Uh, but, but, apple, but, apple, but, apple, but apples would be the, the papers that we serve. So the Gemara doesn't even talk about that here. That's a good point. I, I like the way you... We're all having fun explaining Richard. <laughs> Very good. That, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that, so I, I, I would say that we could be open to that. Really, that's the question of the penalty. We have a very specific case of penalty where the person sells the servant to non-Jew. And it, Rashi throws in this word like permanently, which makes me wonder. If you'll notice that word, Rashi slipped it in, um, this word permanently. Uh, let's, I'll show you. The, let's look back at that Rashi, three lines from the bottom. Ad Which makes it seem almost like what Richard and Dr. Yaffe are saying, that what about if it wasn't permanent? Maybe the penalty is when you did this permanently. Uh, you permanently took the servant away, but what if you, you only sold the labor, or, or uh, it's not permanent, it's this year's labor, not next year's labor, so would the penalty kick in? Uh, but it, uh, just thinking back, it's interesting that Rashi didn't have to throw that word in there necessarily, but he did, that, uh, that it's only when it's a, this permanent, uh, that you did something of no... Uh, you can't buy, it's like too late. And so there, it's a total, a total give over. That's when the penalty kicks in. Okay, back to the Gemara. What about if uh, you didn't sign up your servant? It's just the non-Jew went to uh, take anything of value that you had and he took your servant. It wasn't that you told him to take the servant. It's just he went ahead and did it. Or shalaku b'sukikun. Or we're going to have this Rakikin. The Shakikin, let's do this Rashi. Uh, Rashi's Rakikin. When the Jewish people were free to kill. 
meaning when the uh, many times in Jewish history, and you don't like, want to be killed. So you tell the non-Jew who's trying to kill you, you know what, I'll give you my land. Oh, Evan, I'll give you my servant, Ben and let me be. You're doing anything you can to save your... I, I often get to this how pampered we are, you know, that, that our ancestors went through Jewish history where they were, you know, people could just go and kill them. They had to, bri- they had to give away their land, they give away their servant just to survive, you know. So our question here is, at the end of the day, you gave up your, your servant that was living in a Jewish household that was Chayv and Mitzvah, that kept Shabbos. You gave him to a non-Jew. Do we penalize you? So again, the first case was he collected him. You didn't give him. The second case is you had to save your life. And so you saved your life by giving him your non-Jewish servant, your Jewish servant, your Canaanite servant. So the rule is lo yotzelecheros. We don't do the penalty in that case. Because you didn't intend to do it. You were just, you had no choice. Ubechovolo, are you mean to tell me that we don't penalize you when you do it for your loan for a minute? That's, that's a contradiction. If the house of the king took away your produce. So, uh, if, they, uh, if you were doing it for taxes, uh, you had to pay your taxes. So, uh, and then, uh, so the issue is this you didn't tithe yet, you didn't give the coin yet. So, now that the government seized it, are you obligated to pay the Kohen? Or you could you say, oh, the government took the Kohen's, uh, the Kohen's uh, truma and Meiser, right? So, if you had to pay anyways, then you got a Meiser. The Empress, but if uh, it's the Empress, it's just they took it away, then you're exempt. So, uh, there we see, we do penalize you. Here we don't penalize you. There we do. When, when is it that we penalize you when you get it taken away for a debt? So Lumar said, Shani Hasan the Kmishtarshile. Over there it's different uh, because you'll actually gain uh, that if you paid if you pay your debt with your field with the Truma and Meiser, you won't um, uh, you, you won't owe that money. And so with, since we don't want you to gain in that way, um, uh, we, we obligate you to tithe. Let's see, Rashi Kamishtarshile. Harinanamahan, you benefit from the Truma and Meiser. Shapurea Chovo, because you used it to pay your taxes. In Israel, you still got a tithe. That's because you sold it. You didn't willingly sell your servant. You weren't happy that they took it. So there's no reason to penalize you in that case. So again, our, our, our real question is this penalty for the servant, if they ended up taking him because you owe tax money, is that considered like you, you gave him to the Goyim or not? That's going to be the question. So, Tashma, let's try to see what we can hear. So, Omar Rab HaMokar Abdul Laparhag Over Chachavim We said if you sell him to the, uh, they call this like the Mafia, the Parhag. The, uh, it's a, uh, um, they had two different kind of taxes. They had taxes that were similar to us where there was like a government and there were certain legal things that were done equally, and the government provided protection, and you paid the money. And then there was the parhag, uh, par, parhanag, the parhanag. How does the art scroll vowelize that? The parhanag. What? It calls them a blackmailer. A blackmailer. Basically, people that just uh, um, say, pay me. You know, that's, a, that's not really a tax collector. It's a parhanag. So, uh, if you say, okay, you know, the, you give it to the blackmailer, uh, um, uh, 
in English we think of all kinds of things. But basically, he just comes and says, "I'm not, you know, uh, you know, I'm not leaving until you give me something or whatever. I'm, I'm seizing your fields. You know, pay me extortion. extortion. Yeah, something like that. So uh, over there, if you gave him your servant, you know, we do free him. So why is it that when you give the IRS your servant, we're not sure if, if he goes free? Whereas when you give the blackmailer, you, uh, he does. What's the difference? The answer is, hasam There, you didn't have to give him your servant. Uh, you should have given him, Rashi said, you could have worked out something else. Apparently when the IRS comes, you can't work out anything. You know, they, they seize the land. It's, uh, whereas the parhagnag, you know, he told me he's very easy. You, you know, he just wants the money. You could do whatever you need. goes free. My So Morris said, "Well, what should you have done? You can't get rid of these mafia guys." The answer is Havi You should have found some other thing to do. Don't give him a Jewish servant. Boy, Rebirmia. Next question. Uh, what about if you gave him away for thirty days? Thirty days of your money back. Thirty days where he doesn't keep Shabbos. So man. So what's the deal there? Uh, does he go free or not? Is there a certain time? So We said over there uh, that he goes free. The Morris But that's not temporary. You're not going to get him back. Um, next question. What about if you sell him, uh, you, uh, but you say... Um, the uh, you can't work him, you can't. Um, uh, in other words, uh, you sell him for other things. Let's see the Rashi. I'm selling the non-Jew. I'm selling you ownership, but you can't make him work on Shabbos. You're only buying him as a stud uh, to give you some good servant babies. Uh, the people sold servants. Uh, that's what they sell horses for. Is to stud. They sold servants to stud. He's not losing out on mitzvahs, or in other words, you sold them and it, you didn't give over any rights that would make him violate the mitzvahs. Uh, he's a servant right now and he doesn't have regular Jewish marriage and he has relations with other servants. And so you sold him to a non-Jew to be a stud uh, for the non-Jew who wants some good stud stock. And so uh, you, you drop them off there at nights or something. Would that be a violation uh, or not? Uh, so, uh, or, or you put that in the contract. Or what about if you give them to a Ger Toshev? Uh, or Yisrael Mumar? Or you sold them to a Jew, but not a good Jew. So these are all interesting questions. When does the penalty kick in? So the Morris says we can't answer all of them, but I pasha miyuchad. But one, I, we could bring a proof. Gerei toshav haruka ovchachavim. A a non-Jew, even though he doesn't worship idols, he still won't be able to keep the mitzvahs over there. So it's like it's like a pagan. Kusi the Israel mummer. So what about a a kusi Jew or Israel a bad Jew? Some people say that's the same as the pagan, and some people say no, it's better than a pagan. Assuming he knew they were bad Jews. Correct, correct, right. That's right. How would you know? Right, that's right. Or, <laughs> right, right. I guess if you found out later, do you got to go buy it back and say, you know, I, I uh, that's correct. Okay, moving on. We're in the middle of the page. They asked Revami the following question. The non-Jew gave himself up to the army. 
And you can't get him back. You've got no recourse. You can't go to Jewish law and you can't go to non-Jewish law. Can you at least get paid for it? So, hold on. If you had sold him to them, we wouldn't allow you to get paid. We would have given you a penalty. You're not supposed to sell him to them. But what about if he gave himself up to them and you're allowed to get a rebate? Can you get that rebate from them? Go and check this out. Go and check it out and see what this halacha is. He went and he searched for Ashkak and he found a source. You're not supposed to sell your house in Eretz Israel to non Jews. So if you do Dhamma Visurim, you're not allowed to benefit from the money. What about if the non Jew took it away? The Ain Bal of Yochalahotzi. And you have no recourse. You can't get your land back. So then you could take the money. Even, even if they're going to register it. Why? At least you can get your money. So here also, it basically it sounds like if something happens that's not your fault, then and they want to offer you some money, you're allowed to take the money. If you, it was your fault and you did something that's incorrect, we don't let you benefit from the money. But if we let you get your money for the land that they took away and make a claim against them, so why wouldn't we let them get your money if they took away your servant? That seems to be a good proof. So Morris says, Dilma, no, not a good proof. Honey, mealy bias. Maybe it's your house. Kivan de los below bias. Because your house, it's very difficult to live without a house. You know, we don't want to be homeless. So, lo asilazune. We're, we don't suspect that you, you know, did it on your own, that you gave them your house. Abu Abdo, the sagile below Abdo, a servant you can do without a servant, you might play tricks and sell him and say, well, I had no choice. You know, we had a, uh, a so-called synagogue that uh, sold, them, uh, sold the, the synagogue to the gays and they said they had no choice. You know, they had a choice. You know, they, they you know, they, uh, but... Uh, because somebody might say we had the people were willing to pay the money so that a synagogue wouldn't be given over to, uh, uh, you know, be used in an illegitimate way. It's a, a very, that's, the concern is that somebody would say there was no choice when at least uh, uh, everybody believed there was a legitimate choice. Uh, that, that was the situation. But here with the servant, we're afraid of the same thing. He's going to say, I had no choice. Uh, they, they were twisting my arm. I, they took him. And uh, we're afraid maybe that's not really true. But a house, people don't sell their house. They don't go homeless if they had a choice. So, um, oh, uh, no. We're not sure. So what's the din here? So, I'm getting political, and and I'm even being recorded, and now I'm in trouble. Okay. So, We learned there's a a halacha that went out uh, that was well-known. If an Evid gave himself up to the army, and there's no recourse for the master, he is permitted, and even though and even though it's going to be written up and the deed will be transferred, there's another issue here too, um, which is we typically don't go to non-Jewish courts, but we're saying basically if you had no choice, and uh, you, uh, you, at least you can get paid, then you're allowed. So this, uh, now let's just go back to the plain, simple halacha. A person 
did wrong. He sold his servant. And now he learned he wasn't supposed to do that. He never, no one told him. He didn't learn the Gemara. Now he knows the Gemara. So how much does he have to pay to buy him back? So, a hundred times. Got to pay up to a hundred times the value. Get that servant back. So do we really mean a hundred times, Dafka? Are we just saying you got to pay a lot of big bucks to get him back? So, Tashma. So in Eretz, uh, you're not supposed to sell large animals in, the, in Eretz Israel to pagans. So there also, kosen osa There we give you, you got to pay 10 times the value. So uh, we see uh, that we don't usually penalize you 100. We see it's just 10 times. So we see 100 is an exaggeration. But Morris said, no, maybe Dilma Shani Evid. Maybe it really means 100. And a servant is different because every single day that you sold him, the koyoma yoma mafkiyalei mitzvahs. Every single day he's eating treif. Every single day he can't do the mitzvahs. So maybe we do make you pay big bucks. Some people learn a little different. Only ten times. Does it mean specifically or even more? If you sell your animal, we make you pay a hundred times. So... Um, uh, and there, clearly, it's an exaggeration. So, uh, Morris said, Shani Ebed Elohadar, a servant is different because you're never getting it back. Ela behema time am I. So, the reason that the animal that, uh, is that uh, because you're going to get him back, uh, you could get him back. Time might hadrile, lixile tve. Chada, you should at least, um, uh, it's, it's more, if you can get it back, it's more of a reason to, to have to pay the money. Whereas the servant, you'll never see him again. The reason that we don't give you the big penalty by the servant, according to this view, is it really wasn't common. You know, you've got this Jewish servant, you're not going to sell him to a pay. It's a simple thing. And it could be they didn't need to make the decree. Whereas an animal, a person is likely to sell, so maybe they did need to make the decree. Boy, next question. All right, the person sold him and then he died. So do we make the kids pay all the big bucks to get a bad? They didn't do anything wrong. It's not their fault. So do we penalize the estate? So the story is a firstborn that's blemished, a firstborn animal, uh, you can't use it as a corbin. You don't have to give it away. So what happens if a person, uh, so he doesn't want to blemish it in a major way, he just makes a cut in the ear. So uh, normally there we would give you a penalty. So, but over here the father uh, blemished his firstborn and then he died. So Kanasobach Achrav, we there we do penalize the kids. Why? Mishum That's a Torah Isr. Abulhaka Rabbanin. But this the selling the slave is a rabbinic thing. So do the, we're back to the drawing board. Again, there's certain things that if you do, it penalizes the estate, even if the person dies. So our question, though, was if the person sold his slave to a, a pagan do, and then died, do we penalize the estate or not? We're not sure. <laughs> These are penalties, rabbinic penalties. Our whole, our whole parak is rabbinic penalties. But the, but the isr of, of selling is What do you mean, like because of leaf naive or something? Or um, He's not going to be able to keep mitzvahs here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a... Um, but, that, um, but we're talking about the penalty. We're talking about the estate. The, the sale was over. The sale was done. It's the next generation. So the question is, that how, the non-Jew doesn't want to sell him back unless you offer him big bucks. 
So are they obligated to go do... I mean, they could go redeem other captives if you want to do a mitzvah. Why should they pay so much money to get this one back? So is there a penalty in this case or not? So there's another halacha. You're not supposed to leave work for cholomoid. You're supposed to... Uh, and so the question is there, um, if you didn't wash your clothes before cholomoid, you can't wash them on the moid, right? Or you didn't get the haircut before, you can't do it on cholomoid. So let's say the person didn't, uh, he, he, he left it for Cholomoid, and then he died. There we don't give the kids a penalty. They didn't do anything wrong. The, the dad, we give the penalty. He's not alive. Or maybe it's his estate that we penalize. But it's still here. So He said we can bring a proof from the following. What happens if a person did work in the sabbatical year and he wasn't supposed to? Niskafsa means he removed the thorns. Coats is a thorn. You can't plant very much if it's full of thorns. So he removed the thorns during the sabbatical year. Rashi. Shniskafsa nitu mimenu kotsim. He removed the thorns. Ubisrochten leyafosa. And he emptied them to make it nice. It's not really avodas karkam in a Torah. Avodas karkam in a Torah is uh, to, to plant or to do something with the crop itself. Here you removed other things. So lo kansu, uh, if it, uh, maybe there's no penalty over here and we let you plant right away after shvius with your beautiful field that you remove all the thorns on shvius. It's not a direct avoda of, of planting, but at the same time the whole purpose of pruning or right, right. Is, Correct. So, um, so we learned the following halal. Sadish and Nixabishvias, tis you're allowed, there's no penalty in Matsushvias. Nitaivna o Nidarna, but if you did something that really violates the Shvias directly, Torah, then you're not allowed to do it after Shvias. Uh, let's say if the person, uh, we have a rule if he did it and then he died, Beno uh, Zoro, his kids are allowed to plant afterwards. Um, what exactly are they? They those are not just removing the thorns; those are something. Rashi's nataiva is nizdavno. You fertilized it. V'holaklei zevel the egolos umasa. That's nataiva. Nidarna is both of them are fertilizing it. It's, it's direct for making, doing something to make it grow. Correct. That's what we're trying to prove, is that it's not on the estate. Uh, but, yeah, he was just asking on the... Uh, we said before that if you just took away the thorns, that's not direct, that's not a Torah violation. This is a little more direct, which is fertilizing the plants. It's uh, bringing your animals there and letting them uh, um, uh, fertilize it with the dung and stuff like that. So... Uh, so over there we learned, Naktina, Naktina means like we learned the halacha, Hetiva, uh, he made the land better, he made the produce grow better, and then he died, but no Zohar, his kids could do it. We see it's only one generation, it's only on him, it's not on the kids. Uh, and so that would be a proof here too, that if his father, he sold the slave, we don't penalize the kids to buy it back. Now, uh, also, if you make your friends, you drop your dead creepy, you know, you toss them onto your neighbor's, uh, I'm not sure if you did it on purpose or you just weren't paying attention, and you caused them a loss. 
So there, there's a penalty. Minatora, it's an, since you did invisible damage, you don't really see the damage when you, you know, touch a dead creepy or whatever. So over there, you're not obligated Minatora, it's a penalty. So there, you, you should have gotten the penalty to make your neighbor whole, but you didn't get it because you died. There you didn't. My time, a hezek shein and ikalo shmei hezek. It's first of all, it's an invisible damage. It's a rabbinic penalty. So we have two examples where the penalty doesn't. It went to the dad. It doesn't go to the kid. If somebody does something wrong, he has a penalty. It does the kids, even though they inherit the money, they don't get the uh, the penalty. The famous. I mean, we have this question in politics when people get donations from somebody that was doing something wrong, do they have to return the money or not? You know, how does it look? You know, they, did, is that called wrong because they have the money or not? Right? Does, how far does the taint go? Okay, then we said, oh, lechutzaretz. So then we said, uh, so this, uh, so we always squirm in our seats over here in chutzaretz. Rabbi Cohen is okay, he's in Eretz Israel. But uh, the reason why is that when we, their Beis Amigdash existed and Yidin lived in Eretz Israel, they were able to do many, many mitzvahs that you can't do outside of Eretz Israel. To the point that if you sold your servant outside of Israel, even to a Jewish family, he's, he, he's going to lose out on all the mitzvahs. Uh, uh, today, the, the, you still lose out on some mitzvahs not being in Eretz Israel, but it's not quite the same. But in those days, so part of the penalty was if you sold your Jewish servant that lived in Israel to Chutzorts, you also get the penalty. So Tan Rabbana, Mokra Abdullah you have to give him his freedom. So the question is, who's in trouble, the buyer or the seller? So over there we say the buyer in Chutzorz, who bought this nice Israeli slave, has to give him his freedom and give him his papers. Rishingam Lil says, Pamim Yotza, Pamim no, it depends. It's not so simple. Okay, what does he mean? Omer, Ploni Abdi Ploni Antukio. If you say I'm selling my Hebrew servant. You're selling him, I'm sorry, I'm selling my Canaanite servant, but he's half Jewish, in Israel. And a Jew from Antokyo, Antokyo doesn't sound like a very Jewish name, it sounds like Tokyo, but it's actually Antioch, I believe, which is in Greece. He comes to the Israeli market and buys a servant, and you knew he was from Antokyo. So, but you lo yotza, because just because you knew he was from Antokyo didn't mean that you were selling your servant to go outside of Israel. Maybe the Antokyo Jew, Antioch Jew, lives in Israel. But if you say, Antokyo, Shab Antokyo, if the receiving address is, I'm selling him to so-and-so from Antokyo, and I'm delivering my servant to Antokyo, then he gets free. So again, one scenario is the seller knows that the servant is being distributed abroad, and the other is, he doesn't know necessarily that he, we don't penalize. I have a tiny Mahul, Antokyo, Yotel, Antokyo, Shori, Balud, if he's living in Israel, lo yotza, that he doesn't go out. So, more, so we see even selling him to a Jew that lives outside the land, you're in trouble. Lo kasha, had isle if he has a house in Israel, so you're not in trouble because uh, he, he might be using him in Israel. Had isle but if he's just staying in the hotel, then you shouldn't sell him the servant. Uh, so it seems like you might have to do a little research, or maybe it depends on if you knew when you sold it to him that they were going to take the servant out. Boy, Ben Israel. So uh, a Babylonian, he intermarries. He marries an Israeli woman, and and she brings Israeli servants, and uh, with her, 
to marry her Babylonian husband. Uh, women who didn't want to do the dishes, uh, you know, they, they brought servants with them to make sure that in their new life that they would have these servants, she wouldn't be obligated to do certain household chores. So she'd bring servants with. I mean, even Rachel and Leah, in theory, brought servants with them to, uh, uh, to marry Yaakov so that they would, uh, they ended up freeing them, according to many, but they brought the servants with them. But what happens if they thought they'd go be going back to Israel? So since they knew they would be temporarily going out, do they get the penalty? Or is that not a problem? It's only when you permanently sell your servants outside the land that we penalize you. So ma'u. There's a debate about does, uh, uh, do the servants go with him or do the servants go with the husband or with the wife? Since it really they're, uh, it's, uh, they're hers and she's planning on going back so she didn't really take him out permanently. Or Dilma, but when you get married the husband has rights over them. He can put them to work. That's like selling... Basically, when she married him, it's like she sold the, the, her servants to a non-Israeli. It's like his. But even if she like sold them to a non-Israeli, but per, they're not his permanently. So he only has rights to tell them what to do, but he doesn't own them. They're like hers, and she's planning on going back. So it's very unclear that situation. Because she didn't really permanently plan on giving them to a non uh, outside of Israel. She just uh, she was just getting married, and he had certain rights over them, and she planned on going back. So that was the question. Okay. Yeah. I, I, maybe I misread it, but it, I, it says the datovachs are meaning that it's his intention to return to Bavel, not that she's going back to Eretz Yisrael. But the man from Bavel marries the woman from Eretz Yisrael. She brings in the slaves and maidservants as a dowry, and it's his intention to return to Bavel. Is he allowed to know what's the story with that? So you are correct, and I and I did explain that part wrong. Daitelaja, uh, he's planning on going back to Bavel, but I, I want to do a Rashi. It's the last in line. Kididei dami. It's like it's hers. For lavla mechira daimis armola. If she gets widow on garsha, it seems like she. Um, she would, would then go back to Israel or she's not permanently. Um, the, the problem here is it says if you sell your servants to somebody living outside the land, and so here um, he's planning on going back to Bovel, but really they're hers and she's not intrinsically a Babylonian, you know, she could go back. That's the, she, she could go, um, that's how I understood it, that she, uh, that the, because the, the, otherwise, if she got married to somebody and she wasn't going back, why would it make a difference if he is going and not her? Right. Um, I'll have to look into that. Uh, but you, thank you for pointing that out. That is correct. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, just, I just had an eyeball question. So here it says that they don't, they, the halacha is not known. It's a teku, right? Right. So this is recorded in the Talmud Bavli. Does, is there a parallel Gemara in the Talmud Yerushalmi, which is a little bit, which says, no, you can't do that. She has to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. So you shall be a little more Zionistic, or is that's what you want to know. This, yeah, uh, right. Is it so bad? Uh, that's a good point. That would be an interesting theory. I'll have to take a look. Okay. 
Omrevo, Shonali Rabbi Yochanan Evich Yotze Acha Rabbi Lesurya, Umokrasham. Let's say, now, so now this gets a little complicated. There's an area of Eretz Yisrael called Sura, and Surya. And it's, uh, it's similar to Syria. It's part of, the, part of the territories that weren't made. They left certain lands in Eretz Yisrael to be, not have the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael so they could, people could pl- plant there during Shvius and they would be able to get... Uh, uh, so the question is, is that territory considered like outside of Israel? So it's part of Israel, but it doesn't have the status, the, the, all the mitzvahs of Israel. So, and the master sells them, uh, we learned um, the, uh, um, the servant had a choice, and he went there. So, the first view is, but then he got sold, so then he goes free. No, because the servant went willingly to Sura, he loses his right to be freed. So, the more said, well, that's where the master went Temporarily, that's where he didn't uh, didn't have in mind to go back. So we're getting into very interesting territory. There's a penalty for putting a servant in a permanent situation where he can't do mitzvahs. But what if initially, when he went, he didn't plan on leaving permanently? Uh, you know what? We will stop here because uh, you know me. I'm going to go back to it anyways tomorrow. Uh, so, but that's the discussion right now. In what cases would the penalty to buy back the servant apply when uh, you didn't originally intend that it should be a permanent arrangement?